Welcome to On DOD on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jared Serbu. Thanks for joining us. And the Defense Department has now been through a second year of full-scale financial audits. Even though in many ways the process is just getting started, everybody acknowledges it's going to be years before the department earns a clean audit opinion, we do at least have some ways to measure progress year to year, even if it's only two years so far. On the surface, and just going by the numbers, things do not look great. DOD had more outstanding findings and recommendations at the end of 2019 than it did at the end of 2018, and more material weaknesses as well. But a closer look does show some signs of improvement. DOD's Inspector General is just out with its latest report unpacking the audit results. And unlike the audit report itself, it is a very good layman's language explanation of what auditors found in 2019. Our guest for this week's show is Carmen Malone. She's the Deputy Assistant Inspector General for Audit. She joined me by phone to break down some of the highlights in that descriptive overview and what this year's results tell us compared to last year. It is very difficult to compare year over year. Um, I would like to see more of a trend, um, a few more years in the making to see how things really progress. Um, There's a lot of focus on the number of NFRs, the number of material weaknesses, and how we can get those down when in reality, what we're looking at this year is another audit that we're just digging at a very thin level of the financial data. And so until we really dig a lot deeper, we're going to have a continued increase in the number of NFRs, which stands for notifications of findings and recommendations. So at this point, it is really difficult to compare year over year. And that's one of the things we try to point out in this report is that it probably shouldn't be compared year over year. And we talk a little bit about the reasons why, and we go into the different types of sampling that are happening. Um, The fact that many of the components are getting what we call a disclaimer of opinion. And what we as a department have decided to do from an auditing standpoint Because typically when a disclaimer of opinion is determined that you're going to issue that disclaimer of opinion, what will happen is you would just do very minor auditing procedures. And one of the things that we have built into all of our audit contracts is the fact that we're not going to do that. We're going to do still extensive testing in areas that need that extensive testing so we can give the department the feedback that they need to get better next year. And so as a result of that, we're going to end up continuing to issue these NFRs and find additional material weaknesses as we move along into future years. But as you pointed out, this is the second year. This isn't a one and done. This is a requirement each and every year from here on out. So hopefully in another year or two, we'll see a very positive trend. Um, But we did see some progress this year, and we do talk about that in the report. We talk about the fact that the components that issue these financial statements in year number two, they can talk about their processes. They can present those processes to the auditors and tell us how they actually do things and how they do them match what their documentation says they do. And as a result, they can provide documentation when we select samples. So this is allowing the auditors to perform more and more testing and they can do it in a timely manner to provide that feedback. 
Yeah, I want to dig in on that a little bit if we can. You, you, you say this in the report several times with respect to several DOD organizations that they are doing a better job of understanding their own business processes and understanding how those connect to audit. Can, can you give me an example or two of, of things that have happened in that space and why it matters? Yes. Yeah, so I'm going to start with the reason it matters. Sure. If the components can actually talk about their processes, then the auditor's can then learn about those processes and determine how they need to test those processes. And so from an auditing standpoint, we can only audit what is presented to us, meaning I can't make up an audit test for something I don't know how it works. And one of the things that we noted in the first year was that there were different processes for the same component at different locations, mm -hmm. meaning they didn't have a consistent process. It didn't match the documentation they handed us. So it's very hard to test something that when you're handed a document says, this is how my process works. But when you go in and test, that's not how it worked to, at all. You're not going to get the kind of feedback necessary. Your feedback is going to be your process doesn't match your documentation and we don't know how to test to that. So in this year, what we found is that the documentation did match what we saw when we walked through these processes in many, many cases. I think of U.S. Transcom. They, are, they were actually able to explain many of their processes so well that we were able to do additional um, business process analysis to determine, hey, is the documentation you're providing matching? And at at some point in time, we were able to get, I think last year we did maybe one or two tests in, in the revenue area. This year we were able to test like 21 different uh, revenue streams. So that will allow them to move forward next year into getting those populations and actually testing those populations. And the result of the test might be either everything looks good or here's a bunch of new notices of findings and recommendations, right? Absolutely. Um, that's, the, that's the one piece about going more in-depth into all the testing is that the more in-depth you look, the more detailed those NFRs are going to be, the more um, NFRs you may find. The other thing that we see is that the components are asking for more detailed NFRs, which means instead of writing one NFR for one process, you may have five NFRs for one process to ensure that you're getting them the detail they need so they can develop corrective actions. So let's stick with those NFRs for a minute. When the audit first came out a few months ago, one of the standout features to me as a, as a layman from the outside looking in was that the department seemed to be, and, and the audit process seemed to be generating notices of findings and recommendations at a much faster rate than they were being closed. So there were only 698 closed from uh, from the 2018 audit, and then there were a high number of new ones, uh, almost 1,900 from 18 that were reissued in 19. So how concerning is it to you that they're, they're closing so many fewer than are being either reissued or opening up new ones? So it's not as concerning as it sounds, and I'm going to explain that um, because I want to talk a little bit about what it takes to actually close an NFR. Mm -hmm. So to close an NFR, we have to first, well, the department first has to develop a corrective action plan. 
And developing that corrective action plan, they may rely solely on what the auditors found, or after reading that, they may do a little additional research and determine that there's a different root cause of what is causing those findings, and they have a different action plan. Um, although we make recommendations, they don't have to follow those recommendations. They may do enough research and say, hey, we've got a better way to fix this. And so first they have to develop the corrective action plan. After that, they have to actually implement it. And some of these corrective action plans are much longer and take a lot more time to implement than just a couple months. Um, I think of IT, um, information technology systems, when I think of something that's going to be a long-term fix. It's not easy to just go and get new technology and fix the problems that we found. So even after they implement it, management then must validate that they have implemented the corrective action that they put in place or wanted to put in place. They validate that it's there and it's ready to be tested by the auditors. And so if they've put something in place that occurs daily and hand it to us in June, that's great. There's a lot of times for that action to occur that we can look at before the end of the fiscal year. However, if it's a quarterly action and you put it in place, you, you implement it in the third quarter, the component can't even validate it to the fourth quarter, meaning there's no possible way for the auditors to test an independent action of that until the next year. So many of these NFRs may have been repeated just due to the timing of when the implementation occurred and whether we had the time basically. to attest. Yeah. yeah. So that, that has a huge impact on the number that we were able to close. Many of what we were able to close were you didn't even have documentation of your process. So they were able to develop that and hand that to us. And then we were able to close those. But now we're looking at whether you actually do that process and whether that process is sufficient to meet the objectives. And I guess potentially one other positive thing to say about the department's progress here is they do seem to have corrective action plans for pretty much all of those NFRs. Um, what can we say about the quality of the correction, corrective action plans, if anything? The ones that we have looked at, and we do occasionally look at them prior to implementation um, from an audit standpoint, we're not sending a lot back. Um, are there a few here and there? Of course. It could be that it didn't get to the um, root cause or that it was going to cause another problem. So rather than having a whole new set of problems, we might comment on it before they implement it saying, this sounds great. However, please think about the following. And so they have developed, um, I believe, the most, if not all, um, they've developed actions for all the NFRs, I believe. And they're continuing. Um, we issue NFRs throughout the year, but the majority of our NFRs do come in the September-October timeframe, which doesn't give them a whole lot of time to follow that process I talked about of developing, implementing, validating, and us testing. So I would, I would expect to see a lot more fiscal year 18 NFRs tested in fiscal year 20. So I, that's where I would expect to see some more testing and some more closing. Um, in the coming year. Uh, so um, the other thing that just to kind of think about when we talk about the corrective actions is DOD is not just focusing on fixing, you know, this one problem, 
but they want to focus their and they are focusing their efforts on sustainable business processes that are integrated into the everyday operations of the DOD. If they develop this and put this into their everyday operations, it's no longer thinking about what are we doing to support the audit. It's what are we doing to be a more efficient and effective Department of Defense. And as kind of a nice side effect, future audits get a lot easier, I would imagine. That would be a great side effect of that. Carmen Malone is the Deputy Assistant DOD Inspector General for Audit. We'll come back and talk more about DOD's 2019 financial audit results after a short break. This is On DOD on Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbu. Back on Federal News Network, this is On DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. And we're talking this week with Carmen Malone, the Deputy Assistant Inspector General for Audit in the DOD Inspector General's Office. The OIG is just out with its latest plain language summary of the department's financial audit results. We are talking about what those results tell us about DOD's path toward a clean audit. So let's zoom out a little bit and talk about material weaknesses. As you did last year, you've identified what what you believe to be the top six most concerning material weaknesses. And, And just to back out a little bit, the, the department had 25 this year in total compared to 20 last year. You also added two new ones to your top six most concerning ones this year, and that was government property in the possession of contractors and environmental and disposal liabilities. Maybe t- talk in general a little bit about the new material weaknesses that came up in 2019 and why you picked those those two additions as of, of serious concern. Yes, yeah, so we had um, six new material weaknesses in 2019. Um, People who were doing the math say, hey, we had 20, now we have 25. How do you have six new? That shows a little bit of progress that the department was able to remove a material weakness from 2018, and we removed it down to a significant deficiency in 2019. However, like you said, we've identified more. And one of these, specifically um, real property, it's a new one. It was kind of wrapped up in general property, plant, and equipment last year. However, this takes on a whole new aspect of real property separate from the real, from the property, plant, and equipment. And so when we were looking at all of the NFRs coming in, we have to consider if you have a material weakness for one component, could it have a material aspect on the DOD as a whole? And that's what really resulted in these six and how we pulled them out. Specifically, we have suspense accounts, which is a fancy term for saying, hey, we're going to place um, a transaction in this account because we don't know where it goes. The joint strike fighter, which um, will probably get a lot of attention, the fact that that is a material weakness in its own. Mm-hmm. But it's not just the fact that you know the DOD was not really accounting for these assets in their financial records. But what other joint programs out there are out there that they're doing the same thing, that no single component is taking responsibility for reporting the, the transactions, the assets that occur for this program? Military Housing Privatization Initiative, this was a material weakness mainly because the department's not following accounting policy. This isn't going to have the impact that we see in many of the other OIG products that discuss um, housing privatization. 
So this is mainly an accounting issue and how we present our investments into this initiative. Um, service providers, this is definitely an area that I think we'll see more and more um, findings related to as the department determines how integrated each of these components are. And by that, what I'm talking about, I'll use DLA, the Defense Logistics Agency, as an example. They are a service provider to all of our military services. They hold many of the uh, inventory that the services need and or that the services own. They hold it and then they report to the services what they have on in their warehouses that belong to those services. Well, we expect that those numbers are correct. However, the audit findings indicate that they're not always going to be correct, nor are the military services really reconciling with the Defense Logistics Agency to say, yes, if you say I have 100, I expect that you have 100, so we're good. Um, that's not happening across the DOD on any of the service providers. The Army is a service provider for the Navy and the Air Force when it comes to munitions. So this is a very integrated department, and they need to be able to rely on the information um, from each component that is being shared. So that that's going to be an ever-growing material weakness, I believe, and we'll continue to see some findings in that. Um, component level oversight and monitoring. This, again, is more of a, hey, we, we saw this develop in many of the component audit reports that they just don't have the oversight when the financial statements are created and developed. And so when you look at the responsibilities that we kind of talk about in the report, one of the responsibilities is DFAS, which is the Defense Finance and Accounting Service. For nearly all the components and agencies, they actually produce the financial statements. But at the end of the day, the components are responsible for them. And so they need to have that oversight and monitoring. They need to understand what adjustments are being made on their behalf by DFAS, and that's not occurring. So what we saw was the auditors for each of the components was is starting to pick up on that and create material weaknesses. It's going to take a little bit, and I would expect um, both the component level oversight and monitoring as well as the DOD-wide oversight and monitoring material weaknesses to be around um, until we get a lot closer to um, a clean audit opinion. I wanted to circle back on the military housing privatization initiative because you, you said this is really just a financial and accounting issue, and it's not really related to mold in houses. But it seems like a weird coincidence to me. I mean, is is it really just a coincidence or is there some, I mean, do the audit findings there point to broader management or mismanagement issues that might be related to the, the housing problems that we've seen in the headlines? As of right now, we're just seeing this as a coincidence. Um, I think we're going to be digging a little bit further into the documentation and the business processes. But yeah, as of right now, this really does appear to be just a coincidence um, that this was something we picked up from an audit perspective in fiscal year 19 as resources became available to look at it. So, and then in addition, the OIG actually issued a performance report, um, I believe it was in 2019, early 2019, on this. 
so we were actually able to use some of the um, staff that worked on that report to really dig in from a financial perspective and look at the accounting policy and see, is the department reporting this correctly? So it, I think it really is a coincidence in just timing and availability of resources for us to dig into that. Okay, and then you, you had two that were that you added to your list of six most concerning material weaknesses, which were actually on the 2018 list. And again, those are government property in the possession of contractors and environmental and disposal liabilities. Again, these existed in last year's audit, but they've, for some reason or another, risen to a higher level of concern for the IG? Yeah, and... and- it's not that the ones that were removed this year are not important. That's that's the first thing I want to say, because all of the material weaknesses that we have out there, all 25, are extremely important and could impact the uh, department's ability to get a clean audit opinion. So it's not that um, anyone, if you fix this, we're going to head to a clean audit opinion. But these two specifically... One was brought to our attention by the department because it was a a goal of theirs, and that is government property in the possession of contractors. Uh, the acting secretary of defense at the time actually issued a memo saying our goal is to get a complete baseline of our assets that are sitting at a contractor location. When the secretary of defense makes a goal like that, we're going to take a closer look. Were they able to meet that goal? What kind of progress did they make towards that goal? And in addition to just taking another look, in fiscal year 18, we had some issues getting in with the DOD contractors to see that property. And so I think in fiscal year 19, what happened was there was kind of a a combination of things that allowed us to get into the contractors a little bit more. The Components were able to provide us lists that we could go in with, not to say those lists were accurate, but they were able to provide a list, and the department made a priority. As the report discusses, no one really met that goal, um, and obviously it's a huge material weakness for us because we do have so much property in the possession of contractors, whether it's parts for the Joint Strike Fighter, whether it's equipment that they use to help build a tank, whatever that property is, if it belongs to the government, it needs to be on our financial statements, and we need to keep track of it also operationally, logistically, so we know what we have, so we don't order more. If it's sitting at one contractor site and that contract is done, but we have a new contractor that needs the same property, if we don't know that it's sitting there ready for us to pick up, we're going to buy something new when we don't need it. So it's really, really important operationally, financially for us to keep track of the the assets we have there, whether it's large equipment or parts um, or a computer. Even if it's just a computer, we need to know what is currently sitting outside of DOD property. Environmental and disposal liabilities, a lot of this came down to this year we were able to determine that even the list of assets that they're looking at from a standpoint of what could have a future um, environmental liability um, was incomplete. And so when you read the report, uh, we focus a lot on the list of assets. 
And when we talk about environmental liabilities, what we're talking about is a cost to clean up future issues, such as um, cleaning up um, ammo on a site prior to it becoming public property. Uh, we all know that we went through BRAC, you know, a couple decades ago. Well, as bases close down, there's stuff there that needs to be cleaned up. And then if the department really doesn't keep an accurate list of what could have a future impact, one, it's going to have, it's going to impact their ability to budget for anything in the future. Um, and two, we're not necessarily going to know where our cleanup needs to happen. And I thought we gave a really good example of something that's taken decades and is still ongoing. They were building a housing location in D.C. And while they were digging, they ran into some old chemicals and bombs. And luckily, there wasn't any damage. No one got hurt. But it has taken several decades to clean up. And so and it, the cost continues to increase. As of right now, I believe it's exceeding over $300 million just to clean up this one little neighborhood that had they cleaned it up properly from the get-go, it wouldn't have cost us near as much money and we wouldn't have put workers in danger like that. That's Carmen Malone, the Deputy Assistant DOD Inspector General for Audit. Another short break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about how worried we should be about the fact that the audit findings are coming in faster than DOD can close them, at least so far. That's next on Federal News Network. This is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbin. Thanks for listening to On DoD on Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbu. We're back with Carmen Malone, the Deputy Assistant DoD Inspector General for Audit, discussing the OIG's recently released layman's language summary of the department's 2019 financial audit results. As we kind of start to wind down here, I want to return to something you said toward the beginning of the discussion, which was that so far you've really only digging at a relatively shallow level at the entire universe of DoD transaction data. But Despite that, we're, we're, we're turning up thousands of new NFRs and reissuing thousands of NFRs every year just in the first two years. So as you continue to go deeper, it seems like that process is going to continue for X number of years at a, at a faster pace than DOD is resolving the issues. So get, give me some assurance that this doesn't just continue forever and ever and ever as, as you go deeper and deeper, or is there a point at which... The auditors can say, we've got enough here that we've got confidence in the sample, and we really are on the path to a clean opinion. Yeah, I think that it's not going to continue year over year. Like I said at the beginning, it's very difficult to compare just these two years. Um, one, because of the process it takes to close NFRs, as you said, you know, it doesn't seem like we've closed very many compared compared to how many new ones we issued. I think we will start seeing more closures, but obviously we will continue to see additional NFRs being issued as well. With that said, the department is also focusing on controls, and the more they focus on these controls, the more we're going to be able to stop issuing NFRs and start getting into statistical testing that results in us having confidence in the numbers being presented. As of right now, you know, we don't have that baseline to say 
we've tested, you know, 10% of all the balances. We don't know what the percentage is because we don't have the DOD population yet. We're still focused on basic business processes that need to be built into the operations of the department rather than focusing on the balances that are presented. Not to say that we're not testing any of those balances. We do have opinions out there that are clean, and but Taking you say uh, the Army Corps of Engineers as an example, they didn't get a clean opinion overnight. It takes time. One thing that a lot of people focus on is valuation of our property. You know, how can I tell you that the number of our the number presented on the financial statements is accurate? We don't have a complete list of all the property. And, and we kind of point that out in the report is that we asked the department, hey, this was a huge effort that you all put th- put forth to go out and baseline your buildings and structures. Please provide me that list. And at the end of the day, we never received a list. So until we go and say, yes, we know that this list is complete, valuing it doesn't really do a whole lot of good. There's new accounting standards that allows them this one-time alternative valuation model that they get to use in determining what value they're going to put on their financial statements. But since it's one-time, it doesn't make sense to use it yet until you know that the baseline is correct and that you have a process moving forward to ensure that the correct values are recorded in your system that you're correctly depreciating any property that needs depreciated. So that's one of the reasons valuation hasn't occurred yet. And when we talk about valuation, it's very, the reason they have this one-time approach is because of the old historical assets that we have that we've had since before financial statements were a thought of, you know, that's things such as radar equipment and and things that we bought decades ago that have a value. So how do we how do we determine that value? We don't have documentation from decades ago to help the auditors with that. So the one thing I want to point out is that many of the components have that valuation method either started or they have it completed and they're starting to present the methods to the auditors. So when they do get that baseline, it's as simple as applying it. And so that's that's an area of progress that I think is very, very important for the department and very important that people understand that just because we we have more NFRs doesn't mean the progress isn't being being made. It's something that we can't measure yet because you don't have that beginning piece. And that was one of the things we talked about last year is that universe of transactions is so important. It's that building block of all the audit. And until the department gets there, which they're improving, but until they get there for all of their uh, balances, it's very hard to show that, that huge progress that I think people are looking for. I want to flag an, an, another relatively minor point that you make in the in the report, but that that I think is actually really important. Um, you know, I I personally anyway have tended to think of a, a disclaimer of opinion as like the worst thing you can get on an audit, but it's actually not. There's also a thing that auditors do called an adverse opinion, 
And I think the difference is basically you're not proving this to our satisfaction compared to we think you're lying to us or we think you are actually misstating something. That adverse opinion has never been issued against any DOD component or DOD as a whole in this process, at least so far. And that that seems like a big deal to me. I mean, explain that a little, if you would. Yeah, and and that is a big deal because you are correct in that a disclaimer of opinion is not the worst thing you can get. I think adverse opinion is the worst thing because that means the auditors have pointed out a material and significant misstatement on your financial statements, and management has refused to make an adjustment because of it. And you are correct in that no DOD component has ever received that yet, but I do want to point out that when we issue a disclaimer of opinion, what we're saying is we can't draw a conclusion one way or the other. There's not enough information for us to determine whether it's materially correct or materially incorrect. We can't say. And and that's really what a disclaimer is all about is there's just not enough evidence. When an auditor's out there, we need the supporting documentation. We need the evidence. It it can't be so-and-so said it has to be they showed us that this is accurate. And so if you go back to our opinion that we issued on November 15th, one of the things that we do talk about that is material and significant, but we did not issue an adverse on, is an issue over security assistance accounts and how those are reported and whether they're ever going to be reported within the Department of Defense again. Um, Prior to 2018, those were a disclosure entity, and so the agency financial report discussed them, presented financial statements separately from the department, but they were still in the department's um, agency financial report. And starting in 2018, they were removed. And the auditor's opinion is that they need to be added back, and the department's opinion is no. Well, this is one of those areas where we, we really do require the federal accounting standards and advisory board to issue some clarification on what they really intended when they issued their policy. And so that's an area, as an example, is if the federal accounting standards and advisory board came back and agreed with the auditors, but the department said, we're still not going to do it. That's where you would see something along the lines of an adverse. um, If the security assistance counts continue to be as material as they are. And so that's one of the things that we're not going to issue an adverse without, you know, proper evidence, knowing that we can 100% support it and can measure that misstatement. And that's where with the lack of documentation that the department is able to provide, with not knowing the processes, with not being able to test it's very difficult to get to a measurable material and significant misstatement. And so I think as, as we get more testing, we'll see how things progress. But so far when auditors are presenting known errors, the department is taking action to correct them. Our guest is Carmen Malone, the Deputy Assistant DOD Inspector General for Audit. She's back with us for a few more minutes after one last break. We'll talk about what DOD needs to do to sustain whatever audit progress it's made so far. This is On DOD on Federal News Network. I'm Jared Servu.
Back on Federal News Network, this is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. And a few more minutes with Carmen Malone, the Deputy Assistant DOD Inspector General for Audit, talking about what we've learned so far from the department's second straight year of full-scale financial audits. In our last couple minutes here, I want to talk about what DOD needs to do, as, as you alluded to before, to stay on the right track here. I mean, we've been talking for years about how important it is to have senior leader buy-in, and, and it seems like we have had that for the most part. So I want to talk a little bit about, at the lower levels of the department, what what do we know about what what works in terms of inculcating auditable best practices in a in a particular organization yeah and so like like you said we do have very senior leader involvement from the secretary of defense who issues memorandums out to the deputy secretary of defense who meets with senior leaders from the components um throughout the year but what we what we have not necessarily seen across the board is that command level senior leader involvement so the commanders of the bases are not always there. Where we where we see that command level involvement, um, the Navy really comes to mind in that. We're seeing significant progress. We're seeing. Um, I like to use the Navy because they'll send admirals out from the Pentagon who's ma- who are making financial management decisions. They'll send them out to count property with the auditors, and that brings that leadership down to the base level and shows them the importance of this. And what we see is people make the changes, people people help, people understand the importance, and they realize that it's not just about financial management, it's about the operations and making sure that the department can account for its assets, knows where everything's at, and can easily move things and be agile to the changing demands within the department. And one of the things that the assistant inspector general for FMR here at the IG likes to say is nothing the department does should be done for the audit. They should do it to be a more effective and efficient department component, whatever level we're looking at. It's all about that and building sound financial management into your everyday processes. You build the financial processes so integrated into your operations, getting the financial data and getting the statements, you're pulling that from already available information, and you've just made yourself a more efficient, effective, and agile workforce. So, and that's, and that all links back to the national defense strategy and the mission behind the Department of Defense. So really good financial management isn't about financial statements. Financial statements should be a byproduct of good financial management and good business practices that helps meet the Department of Defense's mission. Carmen Malone is the Deputy Assistant DOD Inspector General for Audit. We've been talking about the OIG's newly released guide to DOD's 2019 financial audit. And if you're interested in this topic at all, I do highly recommend giving that report a read. It's a very good uh, plain language explanation of where this long audit process stands. We'll post a link to it at federalnewsnetwork.com and in the On DOD podcast feed. If you're not already a subscriber to the podcast edition of this show, search for us in Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. That's it for this week's edition of On DoD. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Jared Serbu. So long. You've been listening to On DoD on Federal News Network. Tune in Wednesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.